It's good to see you all today. We're going to get into part five. This is part five of Make War, and we got three parts left. So this is a long series uh, for a reason, because we are at war. We are at war every single day with spiritual forces, and every single day we need to be ready to fight. And I want you, and I want myself, and I want this church to be successful. Does anybody else want to be successful in the spiritual warfare? Amen. So that's why this series is a little bit longer than our normal series. Um, and I know you're going to get something out of it today. So we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 6 in our Bibles. Ephesians chapter 6. Again, if you're here for the first time, special welcome to you. My name is Tim. I am the campus pastor here of Water Church, North Attleboro. We are one church in three locations. Norwood, North Attleboro, and Taunton, Massachusetts, a special welcome to you if you are here for the first time. I looked over in our Access class, and uh, today it starts, Access, at 9.30, and I'm excited because the place is packed. It's the largest Access class we've ever had, and uh, it's starting this week, and that is a good thing for our church. The Access class is where new people come in and get to know us, so that's a real good thing, the largest Access class ever. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Last week, I gave you a phrase. It was from the Under Armour commercials, and we are doing a topic called Over Armour. So we're continuing from last week, looking at the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. Last week, I gave you a phrase from those commercials. It's a very popular phrase. Well, it was a very popular phrase. I don't think it's so popular anymore, but it's a fantastic phrase. I'm testing you to see if you remember what it was. I want you to all shout out the Under Armour commercial slogan, because uh, that's what we're talking about today. I want you to all shout it out on the count of three. Do you think you can do it? Well, three people. Good. Because um, last night, about 15 people had it. I am, I am betting that you first service people, because you're the serious people. You get up in the morning to come to church. You, you don't sleep in. Amen, somebody. I'm, I'm going to guarantee, I bet that you guys know it better than they knew it from last night. They were all sunburned anyway. So let's see it. Ready? One, two, three. Well, all right, you weren't better. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were pretty good. It's we must protect this house. Our bodies, the Bible says, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a house whereby God dwells on earth. And so God does not dwell in temples. He does not stay in this building. He does not come and visit John Deach Boulevard. Uh, he dwells in our bodies. If we are in Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And just like those commercials, we must protect this house. We, we're serious about that. You've got to protect what God has instilled in you, what God has deposited in you. And so we're looking at Two more pieces of the armor. Last week we looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. This week we're going to look at the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Let's read Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting with verse 14. Could you stand with me one more time today, and we'll read these verses together. Stand therefore, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shoes for your feet, the gospel given 
uh, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in all circumstances. Can we say those three words together? Ready? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit. Uh, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. This is God's word. Let's, let's pray. Father, we quiet our spirits, and surrender our minds to you. I ask humbly, Lord, that your words will come out of my mouth, and that it will not be good advice today. It'll be good news, and it will be the truth that transforms my life and the life of the hearers here today. Father, it is an awesome privilege to hear from you. It is so wonderful a gift in this country to come into a building and freely proclaim your word as it ought to be proclaimed. We glorify you for what you've given us in this moment. I pray that you'll strengthen hands that have been weakened through battles that they're facing. I pray that you'll empower hearts that are facing obstacles that they don't want to face anymore. I pray that minds will be shielded from the attacks of the enemy and the doubts and thoughts that he wants to put into them. I pray that every person in this room leaves here stronger than the way they came in. That your kingdom will come and your will will be done all for the glory of you and the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. In that name we ask all these things. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. The shield of faith. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16? I want to read it again, that very powerful verse. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I want you to tie together the words in all circumstances to all the flaming darts of the evil one. Did you see what Paul has just said there? He's just made it very clear that every circumstance is going to have a few darts coming at you. That the devil has a dart or more than one dart for every circumstance of your life. And what Paul is doing is he's giving us this tremendous picture of the battle that we are in. It's a powerful picture. He's letting us know that the enemy likes to attack us in a certain way. Well, what way is that? He says there are darts, and they're flaming darts, and they're from the evil one. I want to share with you the three most obvious things about darts that you will ever hear. Number one, darts are small. Somebody say they're small. Darts are small. I know, it's obvious, right? But I thought about it. When it comes to the enemy's attacks, it's usually not going to be the big things that he throws at us 
to, to, to dampen our faith. In fact, I, I have found over a course of some time living in the church and, do, and being in the church that it's usually not the big things that drive people to disbelieve God. Actually, it's the opposite. It's actually the big things that get people back into church. It's the big things that happen in our lives that get people to be, start to rethink their lives in a big manner. I hear it all the time. Every funeral I do, people are like, you know what, I really need to start reconnecting with my faith. Why? Because something big happened and now they see a need for their spiritual life to be strengthened. I, I remember, you all remember September 11th, 2001. I remember September 16th, 2001. September 16th, 2001 was the Sunday after the September 11th attacks. I was in church like probably the vast majority of most Americans. We all came rushing back to church because something big had just happened to our country, and we all stayed there for exactly three weeks. And we were like, all right, everything's good and getting. We went on, went on our way. But I realized that usually people come back and reconnect with their faith when the big problems happen, when the divorce happens, when you lose that loved one, when your job is cut off from, from, from you, and that people reconnect with their faith in the big problems. So this is what I want you to hear. You need to be mindful of the little things, the small things that the enemy is going to try to throw at you. He's going to try to throw at you the things that, that don't make headlines on your newspaper, but what they do is they just kind of come in and they start to aggravate you over time. That little attitude from that coworker that you can't stand anymore, and it's just every day another dart. That, that little argument that you've been having with your child for the last six months, and you're just like, I've had it with this problem. It's a dart, and it's coming at you daily. It's small. It's not big. If you bring it up in a prayer meeting, people will be like, really? You want to pray about that? It's not a big thing, but it's a small thing, and it sticks in you, and over time, enough darts, and you're starting to think, oh, man, I've had it with this. I'm sick of this fight. I thought about one of the, one of the, the number one, the number one small dart of the enemy is the dart of offense. The dart of offense that somebody says something to us and we just get offended. We just start harboring bad feelings. We just start thinking, how could they say that to me? Don't they understand what they've done to me? And then, and then they may not even know that they did anything. But we have it sitting right here in our chest, little dart of offense that they said to us. It could be from years ago. And we're just holding on to it. Oh, my precious little dart of offense. I have, a re I have a reason to be upset with you, and I'm not telling you. I expect you to read my mind and figure out that I'm mad at you. Can't you tell by the nasty looks I keep glancing at you when you walk by me at church? <laughs> right? I mean, that's what we do. It's the little things. And, and here's, here's what you need to understand, that the enemy knows, right, that big things will drive you into your faith, but, but little things will slowly ebb you away. 
And when your life is good, I've seen it, I've seen it a thousand times. When your life is good and you've got a great job and your kids are healthy and your marriage is going great and everything's fine, it's those times when you've got to look out because those are the times where you start to walk away from your faith and you start to give heed to the voices of the world and you start to let this stuff go by the wayside. Why? Because I don't, I'm, I'm good, I'm, I'm fine, everything's okay. I've got a couple small things, but it's okay. And then, and then suddenly a big thing happens and, and hopefully that gets your attention. Maybe that's why God allows the big thing into your life. But watch the small things because darts are small. Number two, darts are fiery. He says they're flaming darts of the evil one. They're fiery, people. They're fiery. And, and here's what I thought about. That a flaming dart will only do as much damage as long as you let it stay there. Think about it. It's flaming and it's coming at you. It's not hurting you. It hits you. And you have a choice. You have a choice right then and there. Are you going to let it sit there and smolder and burn up your body in Christ? Or are you going to just let it sit? This is what I'm saying. You, you hold on to that offense, and it's like it doesn't do much damage at first, and three years later, you're still holding on to it. Well, this little burn mark has become this gaping hole in your spiritual life. Who did it? You did it. Yeah, maybe somebody did something years ago to you, but you know what you got to do? You got to learn how to pluck it out. You got to learn how to let it go. Everybody say those three words with me. Ready? Let it go. Be, be healed, okay? I'll I never forget that there was a lady that came to this church, and, and, and I shared a joke from the pulpit. It's actually, it was, it was Wednesday night. It wasn't even a, a really good joke, actually, if I think about it. I shared a joke. She was very offended by the joke. And, and do you know what happened? This lady sat in the front row right over here for three years, harboring bad feelings about that joke. Couldn't talk to me. Sat in the front row with a smug on her face like I had done something every single week. I mean, I, I, if that's going to be you and you're going to hold something against me, at least sit towards the back. <laughs> but she... But she was right there, man, just like this the whole time, you know. And finally one day she came and she told me that she was upset about this joke, a joke. It wasn't even about her. And it was like three years and I said, why didn't you ever say something like in year one? It's like, it's just amazing how many people will hold on to something for years. And it's like you think, here's the problem. Here's the problem. You think you have a right to hold on to it. That's the problem. I have a right to be bitter. I have a right. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what my brother did to me. He took 10,000 bucks from me. $10,000. I'm not going to get that back. You understand? I have a right to be bitter. Let me tell you something, Christian. If you're on your way to heaven, and you're on your way to a glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ, $10,000 is a speck compared to that. You understand? It's not worth it. Let it go. And by the way, God has a way of making the scales balance out over time. If you're faithful to God and you seek first the kingdom of God and you do what God wants you to do and stop worrying about what everybody else is doing to you, God will take care of you. God will supply for you. Pluck the dart out. Let it go and forgive in Jesus' name. Let it go. 
seriously. It's, it's just not worth it. And, and some of you, you're holding on to stuff from years ago. You just need to pluck that thing right out. And then the last, the last thing about these darts, they're small, they're fiery, and they're multiple. Notice the little S on the end of the word dart in verse um, 16. There are multiple darts that you're going to face in every circumstance. James chapter 1 verse 2 says it like this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. <laughs> trials, there's the S again, it's plural, of various, that's another plural word, kinds. Kinds. So look, there's all kinds of plurality here in the arrows that you're going to face in the flaming darts of the evil one. And, and, and I, I like to say it like this. I heard it from a gospel preacher of the old days. I, I got to say it like this. It's a great line. He said it like this. At every level, there's another devil. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Can I get a witness? <laughs> it's true, though. At every level, there's another devil. He's, I love how James is just kind of like flippant about it. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Hey, trial, nice to meet you. You know, it's like, what is James saying? He's saying no matter where you are in life, you're going to meet some trials. No matter where you are in life, you're going to meet some flaming darts, and they're going to be vast, various, and they're going to be flaming, and they're going to be multiple. You need the shield of faith. I think about some people, you're, you just keep saying to yourself, well, well, when I finally get that job, then I'll be okay. No, 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 no. The devil's got some darts for the job, too. And some of you are like, well, when I finally meet somebody, when I finally meet someone, I'll finally be okay. No, the devil's got some darts for that stage of your life, too. And some of you are like, well, when I finally get married, then I'll be, I'll be good. And then the devil's like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, that's a good one. How'd that work out for Adam and Eve? Adam was fine until Eve showed up. Amen. Some, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Just joking. And, and, and I've noticed that the, the, the quiver for single people, the quiver of his darts for single people is like this big. The quiver for married people is like this big. He's like, oh, they got married. Bring out the new set of darts. Then it's like, oh, they got kids? Bring out the new one right here. All right, they're ready to go. I mean, that's what it is walking with Christ. Every single stage, the devil's got some darts for you. Are you watching these things? Are you aware that some things you just got to let go? And then the thing that we got to do is we got to raise up our shield. We got to raise up the shield of faith. Now, here's the thing. The shield of faith for a Roman, Roman centurion. Remember, remember Paul's describing all the armor based on a Roman centurion that he's chained to in a prison as he's writing the book of Ephesians. And so he's looking at the Roman centurion. He's thinking about, oh, here's when a Roman centurion uses his shield. Because a Roman centurion does not use his shield constantly. You don't. A Roman centurion uses his shield at two phases in the battle. And I thought about it. You know where I thought about it? I thought about it from the Mel Gibson movie. If you've seen a Mel Gibson movie or a Russell Crowe movie or any of those medieval kind of movies that talk about massive warfare, I mean, one of my favorite movies, you know, if you agree with me, put your hand up, is Braveheart. Amen. I love that movie. And, and remember in the battles, when did the flaming arrows show up? 
two places. They show up at the beginning of the battle, and they show up right at the end when he's storming the gates of the city. And the Lord showed me the two places where you need to raise your shield of faith, listen, are when you start something for God and when you're this close to seeing the breakthrough. When you start obeying God, watch, watch what happens. As soon as you make a decision to do what God wants you to do, as soon as you say, that's it, from now on, our family is going to church every weekend. No more, no more anything above church. We're making a decision. I have decided, right? And that's it from now on, non-negotiable. Isn't it funny how many things just start popping up on the weekend? Like the enemy's like, oh, they just made a decision. Bring out the warfare, bring out the army, bring out the arrows, the archers, now shoot. As soon as you make that decision, as soon as you make that decision to start treating your body right and, and start eating right, amen, somebody. And you start saying, okay, I'm going to start dieting now. I need to really start making better decisions for my body. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I can't treat it like it's Disneyland. And I got to eat right. And it's funny, isn't it funny how many people offer you free cupcakes after that? <laughs> Does that happen to anybody else? It's like, I, I, I want to eat right. And suddenly I got hit. He wants to pay for my lunch and she wants to buy me a, a Slurpee and all these things. I'm like, what the heck's going on? It's like, you want free food. All you got to do is say, I'm on a diet. <laughs> it's funny, right? But it's the science, it's like the enemy's just coming at you. you know, he wants you eating bad. I know it sounds unspiritual, but it's very spiritual. What you eat affects your spirit. What you eat affects your mind. What you eat affects how you feel about your life. And as soon as you make a decision in the right direction, watch out for the flaming darts of the enemy. Out of my notes that some people, as soon as, you as soon as you decide to tithe regularly, as soon as you decide to start supporting the church regularly, it's amazing how many bills will suddenly pop up out of nowhere. And you'll start rethinking this whole decision. you start saying, well, maybe I need to cut back on that idea. It's just the flaming darts. Listen, endure that first onslaught of the enemy. Because I guarantee you, if you get past that first onslaught, it'll, it'll get easier. All right, it'll get easier, but then it's going to happen hard. It's going to come at you hard again at another place in the battle. And it's, again, back to Braveheart when they're storming the gates of Troy. And what happens? They pour the oil on the soldiers, and then they start shooting the flaming arrows from the wall. Listen to me. Sometimes when you're facing a bunch of attacks from the enemy, I got good news for you. It's not bad. It's actually a good sign. You're this close to a major breakthrough in your life. Some of you, that's where you're at right now. You're this close. You're at the gates of the enemy. And by the way, who says we're supposed to be defensive as Christians? We're supposed to be offensive, on the offense against our enemy. Not against people, against our spiritual enemy. That's why it's called make war. On the offense, storming the gates, going back after your peace in Jesus' name. Going back after your financial freedom in Jesus' name. Going back after your relationship being healed in Jesus' name. Storming those gates of all those territories that the enemy has stolen from you over the, over the years of your life. Going in and taking charge and saying, in Jesus' name, enough is enough. I'm taking back my peace, my joy, my contentment. And watch, when you're this close, the enemy starts shooting his arrows. Some of you, that's exactly where you are. 
you're this close and you're thinking about giving up. You're thinking about, well, I'm just going to stop praying about that. It's just never going to happen. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. To me, like, well, we're going to stop counseling. It's just not working. Don't stop counseling. Keep going. Keep working at it. It takes, it takes in, endurance to make it in the long run with Jesus Christ. And when you're facing those onslaughts, it's a good sign. It's not a bad sign. And those are the two places where we're going to face the most arrows. I, I think about uh, what James says. He says, count it all joy, brothers. We read this earlier, but we're going to read it again. When you meet trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, there is a reason for the darts, ladies and gentlemen. There's a reason for the attacks of the enemy against you. I, and, and here's the last thing I want to say about darts, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt a little bit, but you got to hear it. Every single dart that, that the devil throws at you, God allows. He, he just does. I'm, I, I hate to blow some of your theologies away, but let me just tell you what the Bible teaches is that Satan cannot do anything to you that God does not allow. We understand that Satan and God are not equals, right? They never were. <laughs> they never will be. God is sovereign. He is creator. In fact, God, the Bible teaches God created Satan. He didn't create him good, he crea um, evil. He created him good, and Satan chose evil, and he fell. He's a created being. He does not read your mind. He does not know what God knows, and he does not have any authority outside of what God gives him. Job chapter 1 and 2. Satan wants to attack Job. What does Satan have to do? He has to go and ask God for permission. At the Last Supper, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says these words. They have a little conversation. He says, Peter, Satan has asked, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Well, what is he talking about? Satan had to ask who? Satan had to ask God. He can't operate outside of the realm of God. Every dart that you face in your life, I have bad news for you, but it's also good news. The bad news is God allowed it. Some of you are like, man, could God please stop letting Satan do that? But the good news is there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. It's producing something. It's producing, maybe it's just making you stronger. Maybe it's just giving you a little bit more tenacity in your spirit. Maybe it's just dealing with a, an area of your life where just there's problems and God is like, I'm going to keep letting Satan nail this area until you straighten out because it's enough is enough. And God's had it with that lack of patience in your life. Or God's had it with that lack of uh, compassion in your life. Or God's had it with that, with, that, with that addiction in your life. And he's just letting Satan come and attack and attack and attack. And, and I, got, I got to tell you, there's a reason for it. I don't always know the exact reason for your darts. Heck, I don't even know the reason for my darts sometimes. But I do know that God has a reason for it. And, and, and I thought about this last thing about the shield. Last thing about the shield. The Roman soldier's shield was not this circular, you know, piece of pie deal that we see in the movies. The Roman shield was like a door. It was five and a half feet high and two and a half feet wide. It covered the whole body of the soldier. And here's the best thing about it. They would stand, line up next to each other, and they would put their shields together, and they linked together. 
And what that would do is it would create a, a wall of protection for the entire army. All the shields linked up together. Do you know what it's teaching us? We stand strong against the army when we come together. And this is why we do small groups. And this is why you gather on the weekends with us. And this is why you need Christian relationships that are stronger than non-Christian relationships. Because you're going to come against the enemy and he's going to come against you. And if you're just sitting there in a field with your little shield, you're going to be vulnerable. But if you link up arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you hold up your shield together and your faith together, it's going to be better for you in the long run. What does John say in 1 John 5, 14? He says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Love that part of the verse, but notice what he says. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Next two words, what are they? Our faith. Not my faith. Our faith overcomes the world. I need your faith. Sometimes I need somebody else to have faith for me. Anybody else say amen to that? I mean, sometimes I need somebody else to tell me it's going to be okay. Sometimes I need my wife to say, Tim, stop worrying about that. It's nothing. And sometimes I need a staff member in this church to say, let's go for it. Let's do it. We can do it in Jesus' name. What are we doing? We're linking up shields. We're holding up together, and we're saying, in Jesus' name, we are going to overcome. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are going to win. And hold up that shield together. We need each other, and I thought about it. I thought about this. Maybe the, maybe the basic reason why the devil, why God allows the devil to throw his darts at you, maybe the basic reason is just to get you to connect with other believers. Maybe you've been doing this thing way too long on your own. Maybe you're here in church for the first time today, and you're sitting there wrestling with, well, I don't know if this is for me, I don't know. Maybe God's just trying to get your attention right now and say, you need brothers and sisters in Christ to build you up and hold you up and help you to be strong for this fight that we're in. Amen, somebody? Amen. Number five, the helmet of salvation. He says, take up the helmet of salvation. Okay, let's talk about this. What, what are we saved from? What are we saved? We talk about being saved as Christians. I'm saved, I got saved, I was saved, I've been saved. Well, what are you saved from? <laughs> Bible has a couple of things to say about that. I got four things, but then, but then the main thing. Number one, uh, I'm going to give you some references. Matthew 1.21 says we're saved from our sins. We're saved from our sins. Number two, Psalm 18, and all over the Psalms really, Psalm 18 verse 3 says we are saved from our enemies. We're saved from our spiritual enemies. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter says we are saved from hell and death. Saved from hell and death. Uh, and then 1 Peter 1.18, love this. 1 Peter 1.18 says that we are saved from an empty life. I love that. Saved from an empty life. But you know what the Bible teaches us most often? The Bible teaches us that we are saved and, and, and this is going to rock some of you, but just check it out. Romans 5, verse 9 says this. Since therefore we have been justified by his uh, blood, much, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? The Bible teaches that we are saved mostly 
from the wrath of God. Now, some of you I can see it's just like, what? The wrath of God? I thought God was love. Listen, God is love. And because God is love, he also has some things that make him angry. You say, I thought God loved everybody. The Bible does not teach that. I'm sorry to say. The Bible does not teach God loves everything and everybody. The Bible says God is love. Now listen, I'm a parent. I'm a parent. I love my children. I love them so much that I would take a bullet for every single one of them. But do you understand that there are some things that they do that absolutely tick me off? And I get so mad at what they have done sometimes. Now, and I get angry at them. And yes, I discipline them. And Cheryl and I, we discipline them. And we put them under, you know, uh, well, we, we like to say um, proper punishment. Amen. And we do things to correct their behavior. Sometimes my children bear my wrath. It's a loving wrath. Because if I did not hate certain things that they do, I would not truly love them. Are we tracking with that? Like if, I, if they're running into a traffic, uh, into traffic, and I'm sitting there saying, well, I just love them so much. I don't want them to feel bad about going into traffic. It's just traffic. I mean, come on. Somebody will see them, I'm sure. Is that loving? No. And so I got to yell, and I, and I can't do it calmly sometimes. You probably can tell from my persona up here. I don't tend to be a very calm person. And I have to, you know, stop it! You know, that's what I do. And you just kind of come at my wrath. And here's the deal. Sin, encourage, sin incurs the wrath of God. Now, we are saved from the wrath of God. But just because we're saved from the wrath of God does not mean that God is done dealing with the stuff that incurs the wrath of God in us. So you need to understand there are three states, there are three tenses to your salvation. And this is what we're talking about, putting on the helmet of salvation. Number one tense, we have been saved. That's the past tense. That's what the Bible teaches. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you, next three words, have been saved, past tense, through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You have been saved. Now, most Christians leave it right there. Most Christians stop right there. They're like, oh, I've been saved. I'll save five years ago. I'll save 20 years ago. I'll save 40 years. I'm good. I'm good. I've been saved. Well, what we don't understand is that that past tense deal, the New Testament actually talks about that the least. The New Testament most often talks about our salvation as a present tense event and a future tense event. You understand that? Most of the time, the Bible is talking about our salvation as it's happening now and it will happen eventually. So here's another way you can say it. Number two, this present tense, we are being saved. 
We are being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God is saving you right now. He's saving you from the junk in your life that doesn't belong there. He's saving you from your attitude problem. He's saving you from your unforgiveness. He's saving you from your bitterness. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12, it's not on the screen. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Here's what Paul's saying. There's a process of salvation going on. Don't just talk about when you got saved in the past. Talk about what God is saving you from right now. That means that your testimony should be continually evolving. Amen. Like if you're still talking about the one sin that God saved you from when you came to Christ, and that's like the culmination of your testimony, something's wrong. If you haven't changed at all since then, check your faith. <laughs> there should be constant change, constant new things uh, falling off of you and, and new things coming into you because you are in the process of being saved. Number three, and lastly, we will be saved. Love this one. It says this, Romans 13, verse 11. This is future tense now. For you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For what? For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What is that? Well, were we saved? Are we being saved or will we be saved? What is it, Pastor Tim? Were we saved? Will we be saved? Or are we going to be saved? The answer is yes. <laughs> All three, you were saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. And here's the good news. It means that you're not done yet. You're not done yet. So when you're putting on the helmet of salvation, and you start to get frustrated with yourself, and you're like, I still got this thing going on here, and I don't, I don't like it, and I know God doesn't like it, it's still there. You're getting saved. And, 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 and you will be saved. And when you look at your life, you're like, I still struggle with this deal, and I'm still frustrated. I hate this thing about my life. When will that? Listen, I don't know when. All I know is who. Jesus is the one who saved you in the past. Jesus is the one who's going to save you now. And Jesus is the one who's going to save you in the future. It's the work of Jesus in your life. Amen. Now, I, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that there are some people here and you are struggling with a habitual sin, and you just can't beat it, and you even say to yourself, I can't fix this, and the answer and the truth is, you can't fix it, and I got, I got some bad news for you, a program can't fix it either. I can't give you seven steps to freedom from it. What I do know is this, that whenever it comes to addictions in our lives, the only salvation hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. And what you need to do, and, and, and sometimes he just has a way of bringing us to that rock bottom moment where we're so desperate for him. Where we've tried the program and we've tried this and we've tried that and nothing's worked and all we've got left is just, Lord Jesus, save me from this body of death. And that's when the deliverance happens. 
because it's the one who saved you that's going to save you and is saving you. Amen. And it's a process. And I'll look about our world. Listen, this is real good news. Because when it comes to the helmet of salvation, you know, athletes have this, have this term. They call it mental toughness. Mental toughness. What, what does it mean to be mentally tough as an athlete? It means that though you are down, you are not out. It means that though you might look like you're losing right now, you have what it takes up here not to lose the game before the game is over. You know, as much as I can't stand him, as much as I don't like this man, LeBron James has some serious mental toughness. And I don't like him. I'm a Celtics fan, man. True green. Praise God. And I don't like that guy. Because you know that even if he's down 20 with two and a half seconds left, he's got a chance. He's got, I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it because he's got mental toughness to know that though he is down, he's still got a chance and he's still going to win the game. Remember game six just this past finals? They were down like six points with two and a half seconds left. They still won the game. I was so mad. Because it's like I root for two teams, the Celtics and whoever the Heat are playing. That's how I roll. Mentally tough to be able to take the best shot of the enemy and still say, I'm going to win. Let me tell you something. You got a spiritual LeBron James on your side. His name is Jesus Christ. He knows how to win. He already has one, and he's coming back to win. And by the way, here's where our mental talk, here's where the helmet of salvation comes in, all right? Here's how, it, here's how we get mentally tough. The captain of our salvation, the captain of our team, told us that right before we win the game, it's going to look like we're losing the game. Did you know that? He said it. Actually, he said it over and over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter 24, he listen to how accurate Jesus Christ was from 2,000 years ago. Listen to it. It's like he's reading the newspaper. And he says in Matthew 24, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. He says, Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. North Korea, Syria, Iraq, Iran, whatever. He says, you're going to hear of famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. A little later, he says, many will fall away in verse 10 and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because wickedness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. It's like Jesus is reading our newspapers. It's like exactly what he said. And here's the deal. Right now in America, some of you, some of you, you get so upset with what's happening in America. You get so bothered by it. Every day you're just like, this country stinks. This country's going to hell. This country is, can you see what they did this time? And it's like, turn off the television. For heaven's sakes, turn it off. 
You're sitting there watching news channels all day, getting all upset about things you can do nothing about. You understand that you're paying for the electricity that's powering that thing to tell you all the bad news of the world. You can, you, this has a, a little red button on the remote. You just press that and it goes off. And I'll tell you something, your house is a whole lot more peaceful when you turn that thing off. Or, or watch something else. Watch SpongeBob for heaven's sakes. It's much better. It's worth the electricity. This the Bible tells us to do this though. The Bible says whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Basically, that verse just annihilated Fox News, MSNBC, CBS, and all the evening news stations in one verse. Stop thinking about this stuff. Because look, it looks bad. It looks bad. It looks like the enemy is winning. It does. It looks like at any moment, it's going to be a hate crime to preach from this book. At any moment. But I got good news for you. The game is still going. There's still seconds on the clock. Jesus Christ is on our team. He's coming back. He's coming back. Put the helmet on. Understand. He's on the way. Here's what he said in Luke chapter 21. He said, when these things begin to take place, look what he says, straighten up, raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing nigh. I love that verse. This is the sign that Jesus Christ is coming back, my friends. We have full confidence that though it looks like things are bad, we're going to win in the end. And listen, this is why it's an armor that we put on. We, we got to put this on regularly and remind ourselves. Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, the one who saved us, the one who is saving us, is the one who will save us. And we're going to win. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?